Good morning, everyone. Welcome to 1030 Church. Uh, I'm Gavin, if I haven't had the chance to meet you properly. Uh, welcome to Welcome Sunday. I want to welcome you into the local gathering of God's people at 1030. And I, I want to offer you a welcome into God's family. And I want to be able to offer you that welcome through the story of the prodigal son. Uh, I don't know if you know your paintings and painters. Rembrandt is famous for his. He's well known for his many portraits, but he's also well known for his many Bible scenes. Uh, this is one of his better Bible scenes. Uh, it's the prodigal son. Uh, it was one of his last paintings. So he did it later in his life. Uh, an art historian wrote this about his painting. Rembrandt interprets the Christian idea of mercy with extraordinary solemnity, as though this were his spiritual testament to the world. And uh, he goes on to write, the aged artist's power of realism is not diminished, but increased by psychological insight and spiritual awareness. The observer is roused to a feeling of some extraordinary event. The whole painting represents a symbol of homecoming, of the darkness of human existence illuminated by tenderness, of weary and sinful mankind taking refuge in the shelter of God's mercy. Rembrandt helps us to feel the emotion of the story of the younger son's homecoming. And this morning, I want to offer it to you as a story of welcome for you. Uh, you might know the story. You might have heard it before. This morning, I want you to feel it because it's full of emotions. And they move our heart to see how generous and merciful our God is. Now, before we get to the story, I want to uh, set the scene with a couple of comments, observations. First, uh, the prodigal son's story is in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. In fact, he's set his face to Jerusalem back in chapter 9. And uh, those who study these things think that this is about a three-week travel story. So in chapter 15, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. And I think this adds an urgency to the context of our story. The second thing I want you to notice is uh, the immediate context. In verse 1 of uh, chapter 15, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So the chapter starts with the grumblers grumbling about Jesus for dining and associating with the unclean, with the tax collectors, with the sinners, with those lawbreakers. And, uh, and so Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, tells three stories. Story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Uh, 
We've come to know it as the story of the prodigal son, which is really, prodigal is just an old word, which means extravagantly wasteful. The story of the extravagantly wasteful son doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, does it? <laughs> and so in verse 11 of chapter 15, we hear the third story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Now, at this point, I want to ask you, how are you feeling about the younger son? The request for inheritance has the power of treating his dad as if he's dead. I want my cut of the inheritance. I actually feel a bit uncomfortable about the younger son asking for this in this moment. And in my experience as a pastor, I've seen some pretty ugly inheritance situations. Even in my own family, on my dad's side, he, uh, his brothers had a fight about the inheritance left by one of our old aunts. So I have seen great division in this kind of moment. Father, give me my share of the estate. The father divided his property and shared it between his two sons. Uh, coincidentally, my wife has two younger brothers, an older one and a younger one. And I want to tell, them, tell you about them a little bit later on. Uh, Jesus continues, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, including his share of the inheritance. He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Do you know that impulse of wanting just to sell up and go for a five year European holiday to live it up and to live for yourself? Do you? Oh. <laughs> uh, often in the retelling of this story, a fair bit of time goes into speculating about the wild living. Uh, you know, the friends, the parties, all that kind of thing. It's worth noticing that the wild living part of the story is half a verse, verse 13. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Uh, the older brother chips in a little bit later with some more detail. We'll get to that. I especially want you to notice that the emphasis on the younger son is not about the wild living, though it's there. It's about his regret at squandering his inheritance. And as we unfold the rest of the story, I really want you to feel the emotion of this story. I want you to feel the regret of the younger son. I want you to feel the joy of the waiting father. And I want you to feel the scorn, the anger of the older brother. Uh, these emotions turn our hearts by this story to help us see how deep God's love is for us that welcomes us home through faith in Jesus. So let's talk about the younger son. Did you feel the regret of the younger son? Uh, in verses 14 to 16, having squandered his wealth on wild living, we see his story unfold. 
After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. The money ran out, the food ran out and he had to take a job. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Wait, you say to me, here's a Jewish man working with pigs, unclean animals. What a humiliation. Yes, what a humiliation. And it's worse. He looks longingly at the food that the pigs were eating and he wished he could eat the pig's food as well. Such was the desperation of his situation. But no one gave him anything. And I love verse 17. It says this. He came to his senses. In his situation, it causes him, to, it was him bottoming, bottoming out that he comes to his senses. He thinks about his father's house. He thinks about how even the servants in his father's house had food to spare. And here I am starving to death. And he resolves in verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, and we hear the speech that he's writing in his head. Here's what I'm going to say to my father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. Do you feel the regret of the younger son? Maybe you know that kind of regret in your own life. Why did I do what I did? Why did I say what I said? Why did I think what I thought? Maybe this speech is a good speech for you and God as well. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired helps. And you'll notice that in verse 20, regret and remorse turn into repentance. I can feel bad about it. I can uh, feel the difficulty of what I've done. But he acts on it in verse 20. He gets up and he goes to his father. Remorse leads to repentance and repentance leads to forgiveness. He got up and he went to his father, not knowing what he would find. Uh, the second thing I wanted you to feel in this story is the compassion of the father. I'm not sure if Rembrandt helps you feel that, but the story certainly does. It's a great scene and there are two points of view that crash together here. There's the point of view of the son with his speech, Father, forgive me. I... And then there's the father who, well, son with his speech and the father uh, waiting for him. And we read this, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Compassion's a really strong word here. His guts were stirring with joy. 
He ran to his son. Wait a minute, you tell me. Middle Eastern men don't run. It's not dignified. I don't care, says the father. I'm running. Uh, he who was lost has been found. I'm running. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And what we see here is what we know from the other parts of the Bible. Here is what God the Father is like. We had Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We feel the deep joy of the Father. It's the deep joy of the lost son found. It's the deep joy of the shepherd who finds his sheep. It's the deep joy of the widow who finds her coin. It's the deep joy of the father who finds the son. It's the deep joy of the Father welcoming us home through Jesus. And so these two points of view crash into each other. The younger brother approaches his father with his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He barely gets the speech out. And the father's shouting instructions, quick, Bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring, up, ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. It's a beautiful picture of God's love, compassion, and forgiveness. This parable shows us something beautiful about what God is like with his compassion and his forgiveness. It's worth contrasting other responses we might have towards the son. Karma would have said to the son, you got what you deserve, suffer. Law would have said to the son, you are a lawbreaker and you deserve to be punished. Secularism would have said to the son, you're cancelled because of your inappropriate behaviour. But grace welcomes the son back and says, I forgive you. Come home with deep joy and compassion. This story shows us the heart of the Christian invitation is grace and forgiveness. Bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. How do you feel about the father's love for his wayward son? This is the father heart of God towards you. 
Well, at this point, the story could have come to an end and it would have been a glorious word about grace. But it doesn't end here. There's a sting in the tail and we're invited to feel the scorn of the older brother, the anger of the older brother. And, and we're reminded that Jesus is speaking to his critics with this story, the grumbling Pharisees. Why does Jesus dine with tax collectors and sinners? The older brother in the story grumbles along with the self-righteous. And so in verse 25, we read, Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked him, What's going on here? The servant replies, Your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. How does the elder brother respond? Verse 28, he became angry and refused to go in. Now that surprises us, doesn't it? How do you feel about the response of the older brother? What do you think's happening for the older brother in this story? He had taken his father's grace for granted now, I want to come back to Sue's two brothers. There's an older one and a younger one. They were both Barker boys, I think in the mid to late 80s. Some of you may recognise them, which is awkward. <laughs> uh, I was shocked to learn only a few weeks ago that one of them got suspended three times in year 10. The first time for truanting the second time for smoking, and the third time for being caught up in an exam cheating scandal. <laughs> After the third strike, they came into the room of Max, the dispenser of justice. Sue's dad was invited into the room, and uh, Max said, you must be deeply ashamed of your son, Mr. Telfer. To which uh, Sue's dad famously responded, at least famous amongst our family. He said this, he deserves the punishment that he will get. But know this, I am not ashamed of my son. He is my son and I love him. To which Martin said he was going, yes. <laughs> It didn't avoid the punishment, whatever that was at the moment. The older brother wanted to shame the younger brother in his self-righteousness. The older son speaks to the father and says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, but you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He used your money to pay for sex and you welcome him. John Piper said there are two prodigals in this story. If prodigal means extravagantly wasteful, the unrighteous younger son extravagantly wasted his material possessions. But the self-righteous older son extravagantly wasted his father's grace. 
Do you feel the anger of the older son? Maybe you know that in your own heart. Maybe you're trusting in yourself and your deeds and not the grace of the father. Maybe you are the older brother. Maybe you are the grumbler. Maybe you've wasted God's grace. Well, it's the scorn of the oldest son that sets up the punchline for the father. And in 31 and 32, the father says this, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. When the lost is found, we celebrate with deep joy. When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he rejoices. When the widow finds the lost coin, she rejoices. When the father sees the lost son, he rejoices. When heaven welcomes the lost person, heaven rejoices with all the angels. When you come to your senses and cry out for mercy, the Lord rejoices. Now, I feel like I need to finish Sue's brother's story. At the end of year 10, uh, Barker said, why should we let you into year 11 and 12? And to quote, unquote, he said, I was looking forward to playing rugby in the first 15s. <laughs> Fortunately, Martin was a gun halfback, as was John, and that seemed to be enough to get him through. But I'm sure it was more complicated than Martin saw it at the time. Coincidentally, in year 11, Barker turned co-ed and Martin never truanted again. <laughs> and I want you to know that he's now a good and godly principal of a Christian school. It was not too late for him to find God's grace. And it's not too late for you either. Please don't tell him I told this story. <laughs> I did get permissions. As we step back from this parable of two extravagantly wasteful sons. I want you to notice a couple of things. First, this was Jesus' answer to his critics who were saying, why does, this, uh, uh, why does Jesus associate with the disreputable and the unclean and the broken and the sinners? Well, we've got our answer. It's so that the lost might be found and there will be rejoicing in heaven. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save you. So this is an invitation for you to come to your senses and be welcomed into God's family through faith in his son. The second thing I wanted to uh, observe is that Jesus, as he told this story, on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, we're reminded that God's grace is abundantly free and generous to us, but it's costly to him. The son laid down his life at the cross as a ransom for many. God doesn't sweep our failure under the carpet, but he deals with our failure by securing our forgiveness at the cross. Jesus' life for yours, so that you may be welcomed home and feast with him. So the story challenges us 
to take on this invitation and to feel ourselves into this story? Do we resonate with the unrighteous younger son who cried out for mercy? Do we resonate with the self-righteous older son who took God's grace for granted? Both of them need the generosity of their father. Let me finish by coming back to Rembrandt. A number of his famous paintings depict the crucifixion scene. Here's one called the raising of the cross. You'll notice there's a Pharisee overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, if you look at this painting and you look at it close enough, the surprising thing about this painting is that Rembrandt painted himself into it. That's a, a Rembrandt self-portrait. And as he painted this cross scene, it's a way of him saying, I identify for my part in the death of Jesus and my need for the death of Jesus. It's like B.B. King singing, I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. I've seen love conquer the great divide. This morning is an invitation for us to come to our senses and see afresh, or even for the first time, that God, our Heavenly Father, forgives us through the atoning death of his son. And I want to finish now by offering a prayer that you could pray. Let me read it out. Then if you want to pray it with me, we'll read it together. Here's the prayer. It's also printed in your handout, if that's too hard to read. Dear God, our heavenly father, forgive me for living for myself and using your good gifts for my selfish purposes. So let me read it and then we'll pray it too. Help me to come to my senses. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Thank you for finding me through Jesus and welcoming me into your household. Thank you for your grace and generosity in welcoming me to your table. Help me to live this life in grateful patience as we look forward to the feast to come. Let's pray it together if you're comfortable to join me. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, forgive me for living for myself and using your good gifts for my selfish purposes. Help me to come to my senses. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Thank you for finding me through Jesus and welcoming me in, into your household. Thank you for your grace and generosity in welcoming me to your table. Help me to live this life in grateful patience as we look forward to the feast to come. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time or refreshed your trust in God, know this, there is great rejoicing in heaven when one who was lost is found. And Andrew's going to help us think about how you can get some more help to grow. Let's uh, stand in response to what we've heard and sing of God's amazing grace.